All right, I invite you to turn uh, into your Bibles or turn your Bibles on. And uh, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture as we continue diving into this victory message series uh, that we're in for the past few weeks. We're on week four out of six, and we've been building and building and building up to this wonderful day on the calendar called Easter. So I just want to quickly, yes, quickly recap where we've been, because it all builds on top of each other. So the first week we talked about this thing called adversity, and we looked at the rules of war from the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 20, and we learned that without adversity there can be no victory. It's a simple concept, but a true concept. Without adversity, there can, there can be no victory. You know, uh, if you watched uh, UMBC destroy Virginia um, and the, and the uh, March Madness, madness already happening, right? Uh, Virginia faced some adversity. Uh, and the Retrievers, the Retrievers, yes, from UNBC, um, beat UVA. And that was something to see, witness history, I guess. Uh, from a 16 seed beating a number one seed, and they got so much web traffic to crash their servers because everyone was looking at, where is UMBC? Where are these people? So without adversity, there can be no victory. You've got to triumph over something. And if your Christian walk seems easy to you, then again, you're probably not doing it right. The second week, we talked about being a warrior. And we looked at the armor of God from the book of Ephesians and really broke that down. We learned that being a warrior requires you to be in a war. You don't, he, Paul, Paul didn't write, uh, put on the tunic of God, you know, put on the swim shorts of God, and the flip-flops, you know. He didn't write that, he said, no, put on the, put on the armor of God, because you're going to need it. You cannot be a godly warrior in your own strength. If you're like me, a lot of times you try to will things to happen, or make, I, I can do it, I can do it, or try to make, you know, figure this out, and oh, later it's like, well, I, I really should have asked God. You can't be a godly warrior in your own strength. Another thing is that if your armor is nice and shiny, it probably hasn't been used. Uh, interesting movie. Um, anyone seen 300? came out like 10 years ago. It's an interesting like, graphic novel story version of the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae, right? But all their shields, if you think about that, all of their armor was like it was dented in and cut and everything because they were, they were in a battle. And if your armor, if your godly armor is shiny, it probably hasn't been used. Again, you and I cannot be godly warriors in our own strength. Last week, we talked about what it means to have victory. And in order to have victory, it also has to be over something. It has to be over something or someone. In other words, that so many Christians want to be in the army of God, but not fight anybody. And every day, you and I wake up, we're at war. We're like, I'm not in Afghanistan, I'm not in Iraq. That's what we think of. I'm not. Yeah, every day, you and I wake up, we're at war against the enemy against evil, against abuse, against injustice, against poverty and debt, against addiction to alcohol and and pornography, and even things like abortion. You and I should be at war. Every single day we we wake up, putting on that armor of God. And when we have victory, something else happens. We talked about this last week. There's, There's an exchange. Whenever someone triumphs or wins, they get something in return. You win the Super Bowl, you get a what? You get a fancy, crazy, expensive diamond Super Bowl ring, right? You drive around in circles in NASCAR and you get green leaves and milk. I don't know why. You can come up with a better prize after being in a hot car for five hours. Here's milk. <laughs> Think of Anchorman like, so hot. Milk was a bad choice. Anyway, um, anyway, so whenever you win something, there's an exchange. 
And Jesus won victory for you and I on the cross. So naturally then there's an exchange. And we looked at five different things that Jesus has given us victory over. Victory over sin with his grace. Victory over debt, the indebtedness that we should have with our sin by giving us freedom from that sin, breaking those chains. Victory over timidity and being sheepish, right, for our faith. Victory over timidity by giving us, hopefully, a spirit of boldness to go out and proclaim the gospel and share with your friends, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus Christ. Victory over the world by giving us peace because the world is chaos. Finally, victory over death by giving us eternal life, John 3.16. So now, we're going to continue in this series. I want to start off with one simple concept. And if you, uh, again, have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31. And I'll give you a minute to find it because um, this verse is very important for us today. Proverbs 21, 31. All the pages are turning. I hear it. It's lovely. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the what? The victory belongs to the Lord. Let's read that again together. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So who does the victory belong to? Who does the victory belong to? Who does the victory belong to? There's a reason I'm saying that a few different times. The victory belongs to the Lord. We're going to come full circle back around to this, but I want to start up with that verse that we remember this in a few moments. Now over to Psalms, just a few page, uh, a few pages back. Psalm one thirty nine is where we're going to be. Psalm one thirty nine, and and hopefully you always hear as much as you can every Sunday of the Word of God, not me just yapping. And so I want to read all of Psalm one thirty nine. So this is a Psalm of David, and David knows a few things about being in a battle, right? fought Goliath, he's, he's fought with Jonathan, and, and he's mighty men, and they're taking down a lot of different bad guys. And then we pick up here, and now he's, he's running from King Saul probably in this moment, and he's again still in a battle, still in a conflict, and he writes, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, it's so high, I cannot attain it. So where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol in the pit in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, I'll be hiding in the dark, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, 
when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and still I am with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. So do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So what do we learn from David writing this psalm? Well, in verse 7 to start, where shall I go from your spirit? Where can we go from God? Nowhere. Where can we go that He cannot see us? That He cannot know our hearts? That He cannot see or, or feel our feelings or know what's going on in our heart and our mind? Where can we go? Anywhere? No. What about in verse 19? We, we bounce ahead because we are in the series called Victory. The bottom of, of my page here, Psalm 139. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. And if you're like me, oftentimes you say, God, give me the power to slay my enemies. Right? That's the way we write this. If we were the psalmist. Oh God, give me the power to, to get rid of my enemies. Give me the strength to do what I want to do. To do what I need to do. To do what I, I think should happen. Give me the strength to. Give me the strength to. David's not asking for his own strength here, is he? He said, God, that, that you would slay. That just take care of the problems. Because I am I'm nothing. You know my heart. You know my good and my bad. David writes... Verse 22, he's talking about the people who, who hate the Lord. And he said, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And again, like we talked about already this morning, David knows who his enemies are. Do you? So because if you're going to get up every single morning, you're going to put on the armor of God. For what? Who, who are you fighting against? Who are you ready to stand against? Again, it's against the enemy, against evil, against slander, gossip, injustice, and all the things that Paul uh, lists in Galatians 5.21. It's not a fun verse to read, but man, there's a lot in there. We should be at war against those things every single day. David knows who his enemies are. Think of a situation in your life right now that maybe isn't going the way you'd like to, or maybe is causing conflict, or maybe it's a relationship thing, or maybe it's a financial thing, or maybe it's a fill-in-the-blank for you. What's actually the enemy in that equation? Moving on to the next verse. David closes this out with, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And that sounds great, right? That's on probably some, some pictures, cute framed out at Kirkland's or someplace. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And it ends there, right? And you put it up in your kitchen or over your mantle or whatever, and you're like, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And we don't put the rest of the verse in there because the rest of the verse probably matters more than the first. And it reads, try me and know my thoughts. Try me. Put me to the test. See what kind of man I am. Find out what kind of woman you are. Women. I almost said I am. and That sounded weird. 
like, cut myself. <laughs> you never believe what pastor said he's a woman this morning. Um, search me and, and try me and find out what character I really have. There's only one way to find out how something is going to work. Honda knows this. Ford knows this. Mazda knows this. Dodge kind of knows this. They build these awesome brand new cars, right? And, and they actually require to, by the time they're all done with crash testing, they've, they've built brand new cars, exactly all, oh, they'd be pristine on the lot, right? Fully equipped with airbags under your, you know, wherever, and just going to pop out everywhere, and, and airbags and all the fancy stuff, and the Bluetooth, and the rain. they build these perfectly awesome luxury cars even, and then they smash them. Like 70 cars. Build a car? Great. Let's smash it. Uh, you know what? Even let's put a plastic person in there to see what really happened. Smash it. See how it worked. All right. Build a new one. Smash it. The only way to find out what the, the, the safety rating is going to be on that car, the only way to put it to the test is to smash it. The only way to find out your and I's strength the only way to find out your and I's faith, the only way to find out your and I's character is to try it, to put it to the test. And yes, right now in your life, you might be in a crash test dummy scenario. And God's seeing what you're really made of. Search me and know my heart, yes, but try me, God. And know my thoughts. See if there are any grievous way in me. See if my airbag doesn't deploy. See if something doesn't work right. See if, if what I said I believed, I don't really believe. See if I said something of, I put my strength and trust in the Lord, and when it came down to putting my strength and trust in the Lord, I'm like, uh, try me. Search my heart. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we can't escape from where God is. Nothing separates us. So much so that let's turn over to Romans. Romans chapter 8. In the New Testament there, a fairly, maybe a familiar passage. If you've uh, been reading the Word of God for a while. But Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 31. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, he's writing this about A.D. 57. Uh, he's actually probably writing this while he's in Corinth. A lot of times if you're like me, you think, oh, it's Romans, he wrote it in Rome. No, he wrote it to the church in Rome. He wasn't in Rome when he wrote it. Uh, to this point, he probably hadn't even visited Rome. He's on his second or third missionary journey. So we're picking up in Romans chapter 31. And Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? What's these things? We don't know what these things are, right? So you know what I'm going to do? We're going back. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In other words, God knows our hearts, what's good, what's bad, what's hurting, what's aching, what's rejoicing, whether we speak it out loud or not. And He who searches hearts, like David was just talking about, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, 
All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And that's another misquoted verse, just, verse, just like the one we, we talked about from, from Psalm 139. God works all things together for good. True or not true? Untrue. Untrue. God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Big difference. See, the world likes God works all things together for good. And then that verse creates a theology in their mind that then pops in a question of why do bad things happen to good people? If God works all things together for good, why are bad things happening? Because they haven't read the rest of the verse. God works all things together for good for A, those who love Him, and B, who are called according to His purpose. Those are the gut check questions. Do you love God? Are you living your life according to His purpose? Then yes, God is working for your good in all things. Don't just read the first part of the verse. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He knew you and I before we were born, just like David wrote. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. You and I are called. And those whom He also called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And that's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Called us on the cross, on display. Justified us in sin to grace and then glorified with victory over death, with life. So now then, what then shall we see to these things? That's what the, these things are. If God is for us, who can be against us? Alright, I want you to keep your finger there. Very important, keep your finger there. We're going to turn over, because we've got to figure out who the us is. One of the best explanations of the us is found in 1 John. So turn to the end of your Bible. You have a revelation or a concordance or whatever's in the back. Turn a few pages back, and we're going to be in 1 John. Keep your finger in Romans, because we're bouncing right back. 1 John, chapter 5. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Anyone watch the show, This Is Us? I don't. My wife does, but apparently it's a tearjerker show, and everyone's like, oh, this is us. And the Super Bowl went long, and all the This Is Us fans lost their minds, right? But, you know, the This Is Us... And this should be our mindset if you've seen that show. This is us. Who's the us? This is us. So here we go. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. They don't weigh us down. It's not a lot to ask for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Like that song we sang this morning. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's the this is us. We clear on the who the us is? All right, back to Romans. What then shall we say to these things? For if God is for us, we've identified the us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already given us the best. His son on a cross, ransom for us. For those who love him and called according to his purpose, is he going to make things work out for your good? Absolutely. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now this should sound like what David's writing, right? Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You're like, I've got clothes on. I'm fine. No, no, no. Let's go. Let's think deeper. Who can separate us? Can tribulation, can, can struggle, can trouble separate you and I from God? The trouble that you're going through in your life. Can it separate us from God? No. Can it separate us from God? No. What about distress? Well, what's distress? It's worrying about the trouble we just talked about. Can that still separate you from God? No. What about persecution for Christ, for the gospel, for stepping out in love? Can that separate you and I from Jesus? No. What about famine? Well, I, you know, I've never wanted for food. I've never needed for anything. What about not knowing where your paycheck's going to come from? What, what about a famine in your relationships? where you haven't talked to your stepson in 12 years or something. There's lots of different types of famines. Can that separate you from the love of God? No. What about nakedness? It's not just clothes. What, what about us exposing your heart to someone else? Sharing some deep, intimate secret. Maybe confessing something. Or uplifting someone else. Can that separate you from the love of God? No. What about danger? That's kind of self-explanatory, right? <laughs> danger. What about the sword? Things like school shootings, bridge collapses, missionaries in prison in Turkey. Y'all heard about that this week too? Probably not. Too many other news. What about the churches being blown up literally with dynamite in China? We heard, probably haven't heard too much about that either, right? They're going church to church and just blowing up, saying they don't have the right codes. They weren't built according to blah, blah, blah. Church after church. Kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. No one's in it. But they're trying to eradicate the church in China. There's a sword out there. Cannot even separate them from the love of God. No. Because the Chinese church is, no pun intended, blowing up right now. It's growing. It's huge. People coming to the faith daily. And hundreds and thousands in China. Where they're blowing up churches. Should be a reminder for us. How important is a building? Neither death nor life. We're going to get there in a second. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. Paul writes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation, as if he's left anything out, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to recap. Can anything separate you from God and God from you? For those who love Him and call according to a purpose, working things for good, yes? Okay. You're like, Josh, for the last few weeks we've had this cool little catchphrase that maybe I've been able to remember, and you haven't said it yet. What is it? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Here it is. Let the conflict bring out the conqueror. Let the conflict in your life, what's going on, let the conflict bring out the conqueror. 
And hopefully by this point, circling back around to where we started in Proverbs 21:31, who is the conqueror? The Lord. At best, we're the warhorse. But we're not the victor. Nay. We're not the victor. The Lord has the victory. You and I are not the conquerors. Jesus is. But we are more than conquerors, Paul writes. So what is being more than a conqueror? Again, I'm glad you asked. We're going to, have to talk about that next week. Let your conflicts bring out the conqueror. Who is who? Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul writes later in this same letter to the church in Rome. We're going to read it in just a few moments. But to pray without ceasing. To constantly be asking the Lord to intercede for us. Because if you're like me, oftentimes we have a mindset that like, honestly, I'm okay most of the time, but I'll use Jesus for the big guns when I need him. I get done what I need to do, and I go here and I do this, and I go here and I do that, and I fight through the headache or I fight through the struggle, and oh my gosh, something really happened. Jesus! When all along, I should have been walking with him, asking him, praying, letting him intercede for me, letting him fight even the small itty bitty battles. Lord, help me hit this fly with the fly swatter. Sounds silly, right? Is it? You think I'm okay on my own most of the time. And Jesus is some like ace up our sleeve. We only plot and we're like, ha ha. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Ta-da! Jesus, come to my rescue. You see, before you take the Advil for the headache, pray. I'm not kidding. Our, uh, it was another great reminder this last night. So my son, he's nine months old, and he's teething, and he's screaming bloody murder all night long. And he's just, I don't know if his gums are rah, 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 and he's just screaming, and he's crying. And so I had a little bit of downtime because I've been working um, in my yard for the past couple of days, um, trying out my green thumbs. Um, they haven't changed color yet, but we'll see. Um, got a little garden growing and planting some flowers and stuff, and... So I've been working on that, and uh, so I've been working out in the yard yesterday. I came in and uh, was doing a lot of stuff, straightening up the garage. I had a long day. I'm like, I'm sitting down. And I'm playing Xbox. <laughs> so I brushed brushed the dust off the old Xbox 360, and it still works. And so I turned that on, and I'm playing this video game. And he's crying, and it's Lisa's turn in the moment. So I'm like, Yes, I've got some away time. It's Lisa's got the baby, and I've <laughs> so. Um, she comes in, she knocks on the door. She's like, hey, come pray over him. And I've done this a lot of times before. I'm like, okay. Pew, 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 pew. Like two seconds later, she's like, no, no, right now, come pray for him. I'm like, I was going to. She's like, no, 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 now. Stop what you're doing, dum-dum, and go pray for the boy. All right, because he's screaming and crying. I, I kid you not, man. I went up to his door, and like I have so many times, prayed in literally one second. Stops crying. I'm outside the room. Is that coincidence? <laughs> no. I don't believe it is. Because it's happened so many times before. And again. And again. And again. It's not a coincidence. If I were to have some object here, which I'm looking for something to drop, I don't see. Ah, aha. Okay. I found a pen. Oh, uh, what is this? True Life Church. Sponsored ad. True Life Church pen. Uh, I'm going to see what happens. It fell. All right, let's try this again. Was that a coincidence that it went down? Let's see if it happens again. Okay, it happened again. Uh, happened again. Maybe if I throw it up first, maybe it won't come down. 
Nope, still came down. Get my point, right? After so many times of happening again and again, it's coincidence. Isaac Newton didn't come up with the theory of gravity until 1680. Things have been going down for a thousand years. He didn't invent gravity. It was, a, it was not a... Oh, something goes down. Walk away, right? We think about it. Things have been going down. Whether Isaac Newton identified it or not didn't change the reality of... We've only known about gravity for the last 300-something years in all of the civilization. But was gravity always there? Yeah. You better bet 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 5,000 years ago, when someone dropped something... It went down. <laughs> Seth fell and he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> Everything goes down when you drop it as gravity. Does that make it a coincidence that things fell 5,000 years ago and they also fell now? No, it's truth. It's a law. It doesn't matter whether you believe gravity exists or doesn't exist. If I drop something, it's going down. This is still as true. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's true. If you do believe it, you're going to be on a different place later. So before you take the Advil for the headache, pray. Before you run to take a pill for your problem or use the world's way of solving something, pray. And we as a church culture across America have forgotten this. God's great on Sundays, but the doctor's great on Monday through Saturday. I got a problem, I go to the ER. Yes, I'm not saying you, you amputated your leg or something or you know, split your thumb open. Yes, go to the ER, get some stitches. I'm not saying, I'll pray if the blood out. <laughs> Don't be dumb. But pray first. Pray even without ceasing. Before you send that email, even the little decisions, yes, pray. Before you get caught in that argument, pray. Before you said something you can't take back, Pray. Before you discipline your child, pray. Before you rush out the door, pray. When someone says something to you, when your spouse makes you angry, again. When your child acts out, again. When your coworker is rude, again. When that person cuts you off in traffic because wherever they go is clearly more important than where you have to go. When your paycheck is less than you thought. When your, teach, when, when your teachers decide not to grade on a curve and suddenly what was going to be A is like a C plus at best now, right? When the shots ring out, when the lives are lost, when the cancer is found, and when the casket goes in the ground, let the conflict bring out the conqueror. Let Jesus do his thing and intercede for us again and again and again and again. I want you to think of a mindset this week. Say, there's a cross for that. Okay. Say, there's a cross for that. Okay. Okay, I know I speak fast. My wife tells me I need to slow down sometimes. Maybe I'm speaking too fast. Maybe I just lost you. There's a cross for that. In other words, I want you to think of this way. You can do things your way, or you can do things his way. In every single situation, there's a cross for that. You can do things your way, and you're just going to stay on the horizontal. Never growing. Or you can do things His way. And ascend, become better, become closer with Jesus. Build the character. Try, put to the test. I'm going up. Comedian Mitch Hedberg said a quote that, I mean, he's all these one-liners, but he says like, I love an escalator because an escalator never breaks. 
It just becomes stairs. <laughs> Think that way. Some days when you're sitting, it might just it might feel an escalator. I'm going to think God's way. I'm going to pray in every little thing. Pray before I go out the door. Not just, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, amen. Chow down, guys. That's not prayer. Prayer is an intimate, in-depth, talking constantly relationship to someone who's not in the bank where you're like, oh, I forgot their number. Remember back in the days when you and I had not smartphones, we had to have people's phone numbers memorized? Now I don't even know my mom's number. It's just mom and the phone, right? Sorry, mom. I know mine and I know my wife's. I don't even know the church number. So we, we think about what we have on speed dial, right? God should be on your speed dial, but you should also know his number. So when everything else fails, when the conflict happens, boop, 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 boop. constantly praying, constantly talking with God. You can do things your way, or you can do things God's way. That's why when we read Psalm 139 and Romans from what David said in the Old Testament, completely the same as what Paul writes to the church in the New Testament. Because if nothing can separate those of us who know Jesus from Jesus, that means he's always right there with you in your conflict, right? He's the ace up your sleeve, if you choose to use him. And this, not just the big things, but the small things too. He's right there with you in your struggle, right there with you in your addiction, right there with you in your pain, in your loss, in your sickness, in your jobs, and in your schools. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So he's right there. His word tells us this truth. Just like gravity, it's a constant for those who love him, who know him. But how much do we really talk with him, pray Ask for his guidance. Not try to do things our way. But try to do things his way. Because there's a cross for every situation. Large or small, that's what Jesus came to do. And what this really comes down to is this word. Ownership. Ownership. Let me explain. Anyone seen the movie The Founder? It's got Michael Keaton in it. Kind of like this, it's the story of uh, how McDonald's, our favorite American fast food chain, kind of happened. <laughs> right, and the best way I can sum up this movie, if we were to retitle it, the founder, if we were to retitle it something, the, the movie title would be Ray Kroc is a jerk. That would be the movie, because he finds this. He, he's selling ice cream uh, mixers and stuff, real simple things, and this is back in the in the late 50s, and he goes out to California and he sees these two guys who have invented this speedy system to make food fast, right? And he, he goes in there and basically he jumps in the mix to these McDonald brothers. Yes, it was actually named Edward McDonald. Uh, two brothers who were last name McDonald and they didn't have a farm, they had a fast food place. And, and so he comes in there and he's trying to sell fast and he sees something he's never seen before, this speedy operation and this great food that comes out fast. And he cops in this situation and throws down a little bit of money and franchises. Sooner rather than later, the two brothers are forced out in very, very mean ways. Never getting a fraction of the cut that they would have earned legally because this guy was a jerk. 
So they're sitting down at a business meeting as they're just franchising open location after location, and the McDonald brothers are left in the dust. And he's sitting down and he's asked the question at a dinner, and this is true, by the way, Resor and, and, and who's having the conversation with at dinner said, so when did you start McDonald's? He never started McDonald's. The McDonald brothers did. But in that moment, you can see the light bulb, and the switch goes off, and he says, well, I started it back in 1958, or 54. See, Ray Kroc, and you go to every single McDonald's now, or at least for a long time, they have a little plaque there, right? Ray Kroc, founder of McDonald's. He's a liar and a crook and a well-known one and a wealthy one. But he didn't starve McDonald's. It came down to ownership, taking credit for what someone else has done. And what we're talking about this morning in victory and who's the conqueror really comes down to ownership. You see, a lot of us like to be Ray Kroc in our own story. See, we want the victory when we really think about it. We want to be the conqueror. We want to be the savior in situations. I come in there and save the day and clean this up and fix this and ha ha, look what I've done, right? We want to claim the credit for everything from our paychecks. This is my job. This is my paycheck. We want to claim the credit for our level of education, which is displayed in cute little frames that all look the same, no matter where you've been. No one really reads them anyway, hanging up on your wall. We like to claim the credit by saying, I studied for, for that test. That's my A. I earned a promotion. I consider myself to be a good parent, right? I saved enough to retire. I have a nice car. I have a nice house. I have kids. I have a job. Yes, God is great and all, but look what I can do. Look at me. Look what I have done. Look what I have the victory. Look what I have conquered in my life. Y'all, we again are not the conquerors, Right? Proverbs 30, 21, 31, again. At best, we're the war horse, but who has the victory? Who's the conqueror? God is. You see, Jesus has won the most important victory of all time. And the ownership problem goes away when you and I begin thinking like this. You see, these aren't my sermons. They are God's word to the people. And this here, this is not my church. It's God's people. This isn't your job, wherever you work. It's not your job. It's God's way of providing for you. See where I'm going with this? Those aren't your kids. I birthed them, yeah. They popped out of you, yeah, that's true. And thank God they look like your mother. (laughs) They're not your kids, they're the lives God has blessed you with, with the ability to raise, to shape, to mold, to affect, to discipline, and to love. What a blessing. From God. That's not your bonus or paycheck. It's a God-given opportunity in your hands to choose whether or not to be generous. That's not your promotion to be over more people. That's a God-given opportunity and a chance to affect even more people for the gospel. It's not your problem so much as it is an opportunity to see God move. It's not your loss. It's a chance to remember that Jesus is enough. It's not your sickness. It's your chance to pray for a miracle outside the door of whatever is happening and watch it stop when you pray. And when those things happen, 
in your job, in your life, in your families, in this church, wherever this church ends up growing, whatever location it happens, it's not our victory. That's this way of thinking. Whose is it? It's the Lord's. In your jobs, in your families, in your lives, ownership. It's not yours and it's not mine. Never is, never was. It's the Lord's. Let the conflict bring out the conqueror in your life this week. I want to close by reading a few verses out of Romans, if you're still there. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. Paul again writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hate it. That's the, what David was talking about. Hate, hate what hates the Lord. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. There's the ownership. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, who has the victory, right? For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let him fight the battles. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you overcome evil with good? By letting the conqueror handle your conflicts. The victory does not belong to us. It belongs to God. He alone is the conqueror. Earlier we read that we are more than conquerors, so what does that even mean? If you've ever wondered what that meant to be more than conquerors, we'll answer that next week. Let's pray.